the Truth in My Days podcast, where we defend the Word of God against the challenges of men. In 1798, the famous French general and dictator Napoleon led the French armies in a military invasion of Egypt. And he took with him many scientists who created, for the first time, detailed documentation of the remains of the ancient Egyptian monuments, the Sphinx, the pyramids, the tombs. And when these were published in Europe, it set off a wave of Egyptomania, a fascination, an obsession with all things having to do with ancient Egypt, the point where they were actually imitating Egyptian architecture in England and elsewhere. It was showed itself in a home decor. It was just the topic of interest. There was, initially at least, one fly in the ointment, however. Everywhere in these ancient monuments, on tomb walls, on papyrus documents, the Egyptians had recorded their history, their culture in writing. A strange system of writing called hieroglyphics but no one knew how to read them. They wanted to know. They thought, wow, what interesting things we could learn about the history of Egypt, about the culture of Egypt, if we could read them. But they couldn't. And it was not until 1822 that scholars finally managed to decipher hieroglyphics. And this is not the only ancient language where this is the case. In the late 19th century, the British explorer Sir Arthur Evans noticed some strange writing on amulets during a buying expedition in Greece. And he realized, he was knowledgeable enough to realize that this was a language, a written language nobody had seen before in the modern world. And he traced back where these had come from to the island of Crete. And that led to him discovering the remains of the colossal palace at Knossos and the remains of the ancient Minoan civilization, considered the first great uh, European civilization. But to this day, more than 100 years later, this writing system called Linear A still not being deciphered. But imagine the, the language we're written in our alphabet. Same alphabet you know when you read English or you read French, the alphabet that came to us from Latin. Uh, Suppose I showed you a page like this. This does use our alphabet. You don't have to figure out symbols. And in fact, this is 100% phonetic. You could learn how to pronounce each letter, each digraph, each diphthong in 10 minutes, maybe 15. And then you would be able to read this page perfectly. But you would have no idea what it meant, would you? So why are we talking about this? Well, this is the Bible, the Word of God. Would it do us any good if we couldn't read it? Or if we could read it, but we couldn't understand it? Now, there are plenty of English translations, so we have no problem reading it. But what about understanding it? More and more, there are people who insist that we cannot understand the Bible, that only certain experts can understand it, and they have to tell us what it means, and we just have to accept whatever they say. This is not something new. 
Now, the Roman Catholic Church has been making this sort of claim for a long time. The task of giving an authentic interpretation of the Word of God, written form, has been entrusted to the living teaching office of the Church alone. So, so the Pope, the Cardinals, the Bishops, they decide what the Bible means, and you have to accept. If you read the Bible and reach the same conclusions they did, that's fine. You didn't need to read the Bible. You could have just taken their conclusions. If you reach, read the Bible and come up with a different conclusion, well, you have to throw out your own conclusion and simply accept what the church tells you. They really don't want you actually reading the Bible and understanding it for yourself. In the past, they, they imposed and carried out the death penalty for translating the Bible from Latin into the languages of the local people so that they could read and understand it. They put local language Bibles on their index of forbidden books, books you were not allowed to read. And it was on that list into my lifetime. Now, of course, they can't stop people from reading it. They can't put death penalties on people for translating. So instead, they invest an awful lot into critical scholarship to try to undermine the Bible. And as I said, there's nothing new here. This has been going on for a very long time. What is scary, though, the scary thing, is that now among evangelicals, the attitude is spreading, that view that ordinary Christians, lay Christians cannot understand the Bible. They shouldn't even try. They should simply just listen, not to the Pope and the bishops, not that particular magisterium, but a new magisterium, Bible scholars. Only scholars can properly determine the meaning of the Bible. So you should just sit down and shut up and just accept whatever they say. That's well, an interesting view. What exactly is a scholar then? If we're going to listen only to scholars, we have to know what is a scholar. Well, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, a scholar is a learned or erudite person Originally, especially in the classics, now in languages, literature, or any non-scientific subject, which would include biblical studies. According to God Questions, they will tell you that a scholar is someone who has done advanced study in a special field. Having said that, there is no authoritative technical standard for what it takes to be a Bible scholar. Some who have never been to seminary but have studied the Bible extensively and availed themselves of good resources may indeed be genuine Bible scholars. They are students of the Bible. So it's interesting that according to these sources, they correctly identify the fact that being a scholar is not determined by your formal education. Any Christian who has spent enough time and intelligent thought Studying the Bible is a Bible scholar, certainly should be one by now, and that is what we are supposed to do. We're told in 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman who needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That means rightly understanding, figure out what the word of truth says. Study, it's an archaic way of saying be diligent. So the Bible tells us, be diligent, study the word, know what it is, understand it properly. But more and more, 
we have Christian leaders telling us that ordinary Christians, lay Christians cannot do this. No, we can only listen and accept uncritically what the scholars say. And by scholar, they don't mean what you see in the Oxford English Dictionary, God questions, somebody's put in the time and effort to study. No, 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 no. To be a scholar, they say you have to have a PhD. You must be educated in an institution, and they don't much care whether it's a Christian one or a secular one. You have to have a PhD to be considered a scholar. They mistakenly think that having a PhD makes them experts. It doesn't. You get a PhD, you take a handful of courses that anybody with middling intelligence could take and pass, and then you write a dissertation on a very, very specific topic. I have an acquaintance who, I don't remember the exact name of it, but they might do a topic like Calvin's view of infralapsarianism. And they would research that and they would come up with a spin on it. They write a paper and their examining committee would accept it, assuming it agrees with their biases. And they would come out of there being an expert on Calvin's view of infralapsarianism. They would know everything about that. But on the rest of biblical stuff, they probably know less than a Christian who actually diligently spent years studying the Bible. Nevertheless, we're told that, hey, if you want to opine on anything the Bible says, you have to have a PhD. Experts are the way to go. Remember, I found it strange when I went to OTS, Ontario Theological Seminary, before it changed its name to Tyndale. I was told in the pastoral focus, I had to take either Greek or Hebrew. Not surprised me. I thought if you're going to go into pastor, surely you need both. And I did take both, but you didn't need to take both. So you took one or the other. And now I hear that some seminaries are thinking of eliminating language requirements entirely. You're going to be a pastor, but you don't have to know Greek. You don't have to know Hebrew. Just go with the experts. Leave all the language analysis to the PhDs. And more and more lay people are buying into this. More and more you find Christians saying, yeah, I can't understand the Bible. I'll just sit back and let the experts tell me. It's a very dangerous thing to turn off your own thinking. But it's very common now. Just one example from an online discussion on translations and the textual basis for the New Testament. Topic you see at the top there, the NIV, SV, and so are more wrong translations. And notice the first comment from this person. No, thanks. I'll go with what the PhDs who do this for a living say instead of amateurs, and the amateur being himself. He's passing on the right to think for himself. He's refusing to examine the actual evidence, which did come up in that string. No, no. I don't want to see. I don't want to look. I will just accept whatever the PhDs say. And that, folks, is a very dangerous way to go. And yet you see it everywhere here at Creation Ministries International. So I understand the level of biblical scholarship. First, many on both sides act in seeming ignorance of scholarship done by biblical scholars. Our tendency is to think that every believer can properly interpret the word of God. And he says, well, that may be theoretically true, but it really isn't. What has resulted is an amazing amount of difference of opinions. So we, we can't do it. <laughs> I have to go with what the biblical scholars and scholarship says. He doesn't seem to understand that you have just as much diversity of opinion among the biblical scholars. But that is our attitude now. And that's a problem. I have to ask, where did this attitude start? 
this idea that Christians can't understand the Bible for themselves. Where did this attitude start? It started in the beginning, literally in the beginning. Because really it goes back to this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you go through that account in Genesis, here's the beginning of it. it, talks about how God formed that there be light. God divided the light from the darkness, called the light day, the darkness he called night. So the evening and morning were the first day. Then God said, let there be a ferment in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. He made the ferment, divided the waters. God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. As you continue through Genesis 1, it describes the creation of the world, creation of the life in it culminating at the end of the sixth day when man is being created in the image of God, and God said it is very good. And it is not a difficult chapter to understand. God created the world in six days, 24-hour days, earth rotation days. There's nothing complex here about the language, about the structure. Elsewhere throughout the Old Testament, you have chronological data, which sets the age of the world at a maximum 7,686 years. And for 1,800 years, Christians, scholars or not, understood that. 1,800 years, all very clear, very unmistakable. And then what happened about 200 years ago? The atheist scientists came along. Their goal was to drive God out of society, replace him with man. This was the attitude of the Enlightenment. And so atheistic scientists came along and falsely claimed that science shows the Bible is wrong. The world was not made in six 24 hours a day, a maximum of 7,686 years ago. Well, there are biblical scholars, experts on what the Bible says, who can read this, who can read it in Hebrew, who will know this is exactly what the Bible says, would say, no, you're wrong, atheist scientists. But no. Said they believed what the atheist scientists said. Most of them, what they understood about science could have been inscribed on the back of a postage stamp with room left over for the US Constitution, but they refused to stick with what they knew, which is what the Bible said, and they buckled. And here's the problem <laughs> if you're going to accept what the atheist scientists say, how can you keep holding to the Bible? Well, it's super easy, they said, barely an inconvenience. You know that that passage that you thought was so easy to understand, that was so plain? Well, it really isn't, you see. <laughs> you see that word day there? doesn't really mean day. You silly layman, you. Day actually means millions of years or billions of years. <laughs> it's just so obvious, right? When Hebrew says day, it doesn't really mean day. It means billions of years. Now, you'll think day means day because you're just a layman. You're not a scholar. When you see day, you read that as day, but, you know, don't believe your lying eyes. Scholars know better. Just trust them. And going this route, you have to start, you know, once you have one lie, you have to start patching with more and more lies. Now we've gotten to the point where probably the dominant view in Old Testament, or early Old Testament studies among evangelical scholars is that Genesis, at least the earlier parts, were written in a, a secret ancient Near Eastern code. But the language doesn't mean what it says. It means anything except what it actually says. All those Christians 
for all those centuries who thought it meant what it says, well, they were wrong. We can point out that that includes Jesus. He accepted early creation. But no, they're all wrong, you see. The meaning, the true meaning of the Bible is it was a lost world for 1,800 years, but now at last we have scholars to tell us what it really means, and lo and behold, the atheist scientists are all correct. And so at this point, we have to ask the million-dollar question, is this true? Is this true? Is it true that lay Christians cannot understand the Bible? Is it true that it's too difficult for us? Only scholars can do it. Is that really how God designed the Bible? Well, let's see. Let's look at Paul's epistles and ask to whom are they addressed. In 1 Corinthians 1, 1 to 2, Paul, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, called saints. 2 Corinthians 1, 1, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints, with all Achaia. Galatians 1, 1, Paul, to the churches of Galatia. Do you notice that he's writing these, these letters? It is not written to the leaders. It is not written to the scholars, to the experts. Paul, to the leaders in the church, read this, figure it out, explain it to the dummies in the pews. It's to the whole church. Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. It's just to all the Christians. It's not just to the experts. Uh, Colossians 1, 1 to 2a, Paul, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. 1 Thessalonians 1, 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians. Now, do note, they did have experts. The churches had experts. Once who were given over to that teaching office of the church, ones who were gifted for that, who were put into that role, and it was an important role. We see in 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So there were experts there. But notice when they are mentioned, how they are mentioned. Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Experts are mentioned. But they're mentioned after Christians in general. In fact, Paul was very insistent that all the congregation should hear his actual letter, his entire letter, not just the leaders. Colossians 4.16, Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. They were expected to read the letter to everybody so that everybody in the pews could hear all the word of God, not just the expert's explanation of it. Here it is again, 1 Thessalonians 5.27. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. Why? If they can't understand it. Because it is expected that they can understand it and should understand it. The Bible is for all Christians, not just for the scholars. Right? Consider this. Acts 17, 10 to 12, 
And then the brethren sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. They'd just been in Thessalonica for a while. They'd done some preaching, made some converts, but also got attacked by unbelievers and essentially given the bums rush out of town. And from there, they come to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and, notice this, searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women, as well as men. Now ask yourself, who could be a greater authority, a greater scholar than Paul in the early church? And yet the people were not expected simply to accept Paul say so. Hey, he's a scholar, he's highly educated, let's just accept what he says. No, no. They were supposed to check it, the ordinary people. And how do they check it? They check it against scripture. They check it to see whether what he was saying agreed with scripture. And only since it did agree that they believe. But isn't that interesting? The scholar is held up to the standard of scripture as read and understood by the ordinary Christian. It's the opposite of what we're being told today. No, no, no. You don't check scripture to see if the scholars are right. No, no, you just accept the scholars are right. That's not the biblical attitude, folks. And if we're expected to do this, if we're expected to check the scriptures, it indicates that we can understand. We should be able to understand. Is that what the Bible says? Well, if we check out Habakkuk 2.2, then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. Write the vision and make it plain. That was the whole point why God was giving these messages to people so that they could understand it. And for that, it had to be plain. And that they could take appropriate action based on what they were reading. It means he gave the scriptures to all of us, and he expects all of us to be able to understand it. It was meant to be plain. And if it's still in question, consider 2 Corinthians 1.13, which, which is key and which really settles the issue. Where Paul writes to the Corinthians, and remember, he's addressing the entire church, for we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Now, I trust you will understand even to the end. This is addressed to the entire church, and Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the church of God, which is Corinth, is telling you that he's expecting them to read and understand what he wrote, and he trusts they will understand it. So here's the smoking gun, folks. The Bible is written by God in such a way that ordinary Christians, lay Christians, can and should understand it. Now, do be aware. This doesn't mean you shouldn't be working diligently to come to the correct understanding. Because we do have this warning in 2 Peter 3, uh, 14 to 16. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation as also our beloved brother Paul according to the wisdom given to him as written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, 
which ignorant and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Understand, here, folks, we are warned. There are some things in scriptures that are hard to understand. And we see this idea elsewhere in Hebrews 5, 12 to 14. There's for both, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of practice have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So you see that this is the basics, the milk, the first principles. But there's also solid food. And that's just the more advanced material, the more advanced doctrines. And it's like a baby. You start with the basics. You start with the milk. But you don't stay with the milk. You know, it's like a 16-year-old just drinking milk, right? <laughs> they move on to solid food. So as a new Christian, you need the milk. That's how you grow. And you should want it. First Peter 2.2, 2, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You should be moving on to the more solid stuff. You should want to do that, the more advanced doctrines. It's exciting to learn these things about the word of God. And how do you do that? Well, Hebrews 5, 12 to 14 tells us. Solid food belongs to those who are full age, mature. And how did they become mature? Those who, by reason of practice, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Those who have actually Keep putting in the time and effort to learn. Reason of use, reason of practice. It's the only way. Those who apply themselves diligently to learning and understanding the basics, the milk, will be ready to move on to the more advanced stuff, the meat. Now, part of that is, is learning proper exegesis, how to understand scripture, how to look at context, how to look at original languages and so on so that they do not end up among those who twist the scriptures to their own destruction. Our question is, have you been doing that? Or like the readers to whom Hebrews was addressed, have you been slack about this? You ought to be up to the meat by now. But instead, do you need to go back to the milk? Do you need the basics again? Are you still stuck on the basics? Have you not moved beyond that? Uh, if so... There's no point to worrying about it now. There's nothing you can do about the past. What you need to do is focus on moving ahead. You need to start studying the Bible diligently. You need to make that decision to study it daily. And that's how you'll become familiar with the whole counsel of God. But do not give in to the lie that only stars can understand the Bible, and you can't. Let's take another quick look at 2 Peter 3 and see something interesting here. Before Peter gets into that part where he talks about the ignorant and unstable people twisting the scripture, another passage starts. Scoffers will come in the last days. This they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were old, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. What are the scoffers denying? The scoffers who will come in the last days. They are denying creation, and they're denying the flood. Isn't that interesting? Because isn't that exactly 
what our scholars today are denying. Didn't really happen. It's a magic ancient Near Eastern code. Don't believe your lying eyes when you read the Bible. Does it sound familiar, folks? Well, do take this warning seriously then. It's all over the place now. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy or doctor of philosophy, an empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, the teachings of atheistic science, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ, Colossians 2.8. Don't farm out your thinking to PhDs. Study the word of God carefully. Learn it and follow it. You can do it, but you have to choose to do it and to put in the proper effort. So now is the time to choose it, folks. If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. We would love to hear from you. Please feel free to share any questions or comments you may have. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, MeWe, and YouTube. Simply search Truth In My Days as one word. Again, Truth In My Days as one word, no spaces in between. And you can connect with us. You may also visit our website for more comprehensive material and to learn more about our ministry. Our website is truthinmydays.com. Thank you. Thank you.